So hello and welcome to another episode of the Races Formula E podcast. Uh, I'm your host Andrew Vanderberg and today we welcome Nick Cassidy, one of the brightest and most decorated young single-seater drivers currently on the international scene. From Auckland, New Zealand, Cassidy has followed in the footsteps of a strong band of Kiwi exports including Brendan Hartley, Mitch Evans, Richie Stanaway and coming to Europe and Japan to make a name for himself. Uh, he progressed to Formula 3 in 2013, but it was the following year where he really grabbed the headlines with a superb drive to third in that year's Macau Grand Prix, beaten only by Felix Rosenquist and Lucas Dalla. But it was his exploits in Japan that brought a rich vein of success, which began with F3 title success in 2015, before further crowns in Super GT the following year and the Super Formula title last season. These successes opened up further opportunities, which included a seat at the Envision Virgin Racing Formula E squad for the 2021 season. But in the meantime, he's pursuing one last campaign in Super GT and Super Formula to add to that already bulging trophy cabinet. Nick, a warm welcome to the Race Podcast. Uh, how's life in Tokyo at the moment? And uh, how was Fuji last weekend? Yeah, thanks very much for having me on the on the show, Andrew, Sam. Um it's it's okay at the moment. I, I must say, considering you know uh, the situation that the world's in, um, not not just from a motorsport motorsport point of view, obviously, um, but but life in in Japan is semi normal, which is is strange. Uh, I must say that we've been quite lucky with um, not a huge amount of cases here, so we've been been back into racing, as you say, with Fuji last weekend, um, and have already had five rounds of Super GT now this year, so. Uh, that's that's been going well. We're second in the championship, one point off the lead, and um, yeah, enjoying being able to race. But uh, obviously, with, with an eye on on everything else that's going on as well. Excellent. Well, joining me as always is Formula E's uh, correspondent Sam Smith. Sam, when when do you first recall seeing Nick coming onto your radar, and what have you made of his career up until this point? Oh, I think the first time I saw Nick race was at Paul Ricard in uh, 2016 must have been the opening round of that year's F3 championship. And Nick was with Prima, um, with I think Lance Stroll and, and Max Gunter were certainly in that squad at that time. Um, I remember he was pretty much the class of the field on pace that weekend. And, and it was a field that included George Russell and many other guys that have gone on to, to great careers in the higher echelons of the sport. I, he finished second, I think, on each of those three races. But it was... It was a meeting, I think, that, that certainly Nick will remember. It was one which uh, sticks out for me because I remember him leading uh, leading Lance Stroll and then there was a little bit of uh, interest in the way that Lance got past him and a lot of questions of what happened then. Um, it certainly looked like um, Nick had, had let Lance go and I'm sure enough time has passed now, maybe, Nick, that you can have a little chuckle about it now or, or maybe not, I don't know. How do you, how do you remember that weekend, Nick? Yeah, I remember that that weekend quite well. Obviously, I guess um, uh, we we can we can laugh about it. I I, I guess it's a, a strange one though. At the same time, because uh, uh, Lawrence and and Prema gave me a a really great opportunity that year to to race in European Formula Three, and um, that you know, believe it or not, was my first full championship in Europe that I'd completed, and. I'd already uh, signed with Tuota to race Super GT, so my main program that year was was in Japan. Um, I started, I think, the the season with yeah an incredible amount of motivation to to certainly make the most of that year in Formula Three, and and I think um, 
probably a, a regret of mine is is halfway through not really taking that as, as seriously as I should have um, for, I mean, I guess the this, this situation probably probably wasn't ideal, um, but I, I could have done a better job. And, and I think once I got to the end of that year, that, that really kicked in. Uh, my focus had been on, on Japan, but at the same time, I learned a, a lesson from that year and, and I think it, it made me better um, for the years to come. It's a well-trodden path for Kiwi racers to, to come over to Europe, you know, starting way back in the 50s with the likes of Bruce McLaren. But it's still physically a, a long distance for you. What what was it like as a youngster, you know, making that journey over? Uh, it was almost a, a dream come true, to be honest. And, and I say that because I never in my career thought that the next step was possible. And in, in that, I mean, in casting, I never thought... I'd have the opportunity to be able to race Formula Ford in New Zealand. And, um, of course, from a very early age, I was following Formula One and, and European racing. Uh, had a, a huge amount of motivation or, or desire to, to make that my career as a, as a, a young guy. But uh, I guess the, the position I was in and, and uh, to get along with my family, it was always that next step was a big deal. And so to get the break and be able to have the opportunity to – go over in 2012 was um, was huge for me. And uh, it was a bit surreal at the time because I guess of what I've just explained. But at the same time, um, yeah, it was never, as, as I say, a, a full program or a, a full campaign, which I don't think that made things so easy. And, and as I got on more to 2015 and 2016 and when that became the case, uh, I think that's when my, my career really took off. Yeah, just looking at that time you spent in, in F3, some of the people you're up against, you know, Max Verstappen, Esteban Ocon, George Russell, Felix Rosenquist, you know, that was a that was a serious amount of talent in that field. You know, how did, what are your memories of racing against those guys? And, and you still in contact with any of them? Yeah, in touch with a lot. I think, um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, great guys, not only, only great, great drivers from those years. So a very, very cool group of uh, drivers to, to go through with. Um, at the same time, I, th- I think when you look back at Macau, there's always that group of drivers every year that end up with, with pretty successful careers in motorsport. So um, that was just one era, but there's there's definitely been others and, and even after us as well. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, so, certainly looking looking back at that, pretty, pretty neat list of names for sure. Sam, so, we've sort of spoken about the uh, relationship of uh... – the strolls and Prema and, and, and uh, how Nick got on there. What, what did you make of uh, that, that campaign? Well, I think as Nick has said, it was it was quite a formative year for him. He'd already been uh, been successful in Japan, and and there were I, I kind of think that there probably were decisions to be made, and it, and it kind of been easy been in a team where you know part of the investment is is the father of the guy that your teammate to. But I, I recall speaking to Nick at. A Ricard actually that year, and there was this sense that you know his his focus was developing in Japan, and and by this stage, um, you know maybe the better long term opportunities seem to be there. But I, I'd say 2016 was that that kind of formative year. It seemed to be, um, and with quite a lot going on at, at, at Prima with Stroll, I, I presume that he was there to to push Lance on to 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 challenge and ultimately win the title which is exactly what happened but I'm always of the opinion that a, a driver a young driver should have as much experience in different 
disciplines and different aspects of, of racing to ultimately be a better driver. And it obviously, when we take stock of it now in 20, 2020 and, and the success that Nick has had in a variety of disciplines, then, you know, that, that forms a really strong CV and something which he can build on now with uh, with a major team in Formula E. Nick, was... Um... Was a career in Japan something that you'd always sort of aspired to, and 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 how did that come about? Because yeah, it's a, you know it's it's a it's a, a key part of the racing world, but it's often one, at least in European eyes, that sometimes gets overlooked. Yeah, I think overlooked is pro- probably the right word. Um, it most likely came to my attention through simulator racing. To be honest, back in the day, uh, using R Factor. Um, in New Zealand, I think the Formula Nippon model was uh, one of the best cars to drive with a, a lot of grip, a lot of downforce. And and so I was very much aware of the category through that. And um, at the same time, I, I knew of uh, Tom's quite well and their success with um, you know a lot of uh, European, Australasian drivers, um, mainly James Courtney at that stage because he was running in supercars, which is obviously being, being a Kiwi quite close to home. Um, and he'd won the, the Japanese F3 championship with, with Tom's uh, and racing GT. So my knowledge was um, was there about Japan, but it really come kind of more clear and, and the opportunity presented itself at, at Macau in 2014. Um, and and for that, I, to be honest, I've also got to thank the guys at, at T-Sport because we were uh, sponsored um, by 3Bond, to, to run the car for a couple of events in the European Championship that at the end of that season to prepare for Macau um, and then went there uh, and, and I was provided a really, really good opportunity, to be honest, um, which, you know, on, on top of having a, a fast car for, for the weekend um, and really good preparation, they also put me in touch with Tom's, which, uh, yeah, I must say set up my career. I find it really interesting that you sort of were aware of Super Formula through the R Factor model, and and I know those cars are, are pretty awesome. I remember speaking to James Rossiter once, who was telling me uh, that through the S's, certainly in qualifying, that you were basically as fast, if not faster, than F1 cars through there, such as the amount of downforce that those things have got. It must be an awesome thing to drive in in, in real life. Yeah, for sure. Um, the the cars are certainly very very quick. The Downforce is very high. Um, corner speeds, like you say, probably the the closest to, to Formula One now. Um, James's comments, I think, were, were very relative in that you know probably uh, 2012 to 2014 era. Now, obviously, the Formula One cars um, have picked up even more pace and are, are seriously quick. So I'd say we're we're a bit behind corner in corner speeds now, but uh, certainly still pretty impressive. And from a driving point of view. Um, yeah, a real thrill. Do you consider that title win there um, last year as, as the sort of high point of your career so far? Uh, for sure, for sure. And I think that probably comes to a, a couple of reasons. Firstly, the, the category and the, and the type of car. Um, but at the same time, I'd, I'd won Super GT a couple of years prior in 2017. And at that stage, I think I was still developing a lot as a, as a racing driver. And my... Performances that year were obviously good enough because you know we were champions. But I was with a co-driver, and I, I almost felt um, I was still learning off him. He was a bit stronger than me in 2017, and so it was a good reference for me to to keep working, keep developing. And um, I think over the, the next couple of years, I could kind of 
turn that round and, and lead the team a bit more. And especially in Super Formula, when it's a single driver category, um, you get the chance to show that, which was pretty cool. Sam, what did you make of uh, what Nick's achieved out in Japan there? Obviously, he's in good company in the Formula E paddock with people like Andre Lotterer and Luke Deval before him of making that step from Japan to Formula E. Absolutely. I think in terms of achievements, it's it's right up there for sure. Uh, I'd say Nick, Andre Lotterer, as you mentioned, Luke Deval, they've made the most impression consistently through a range of disciplines there. I, I think it's often underestimated to the outside world how difficult it is to race over in Japan uh, how on it you have to be and how much drivers actually learn and soak up I, I've spoken to Lotter at length actually about his time in Japan and and he made it clear that it made him as a driver um, and it really took him to a different level for him then to go and do what he did at Le Mans and, and has gone on to do in Formula E and many other things I think technically there's so much to learn with a fierce tyre war in in Super GT, many manufacturers there. And then you've got two major OEMs slugging it out in, in Super Formula in, um, in, in there too. All of the tracks, well, not all of the tracks, but a lot of the tracks over there are, are just, you know, real roller coasters. You know, Nicola tested that Fuji Su, Sugo. You know, I, I've yeah. been lucky enough to go to Sugo for a, an old Formula Nippon race many years ago. and It's just an incredible place. And of course, everyone knows Suzuka too. So it's really, it's it's ready made for, for making stars in that perspective. And I think it's no real surprise that, that Formula E or F1 teams seriously look at guys that are, are successful and stand out over there in Japan and, and in the case of Envision Virgin there you know that's that's what's happened because someone of uh, Chris Gorn's experience Chris is the the engineering leader at uh, over over at Envision Virgin you know he looks at all that and if an opportunity comes about to get one of these guys in their cars they'll they'll take it and, and that's essentially what's happened with Nick and the strong test that he had in Marrakesh, and it's now led on to a, a full-on drive. So, yeah, I, you know, I think in terms of what Japan offers, it's uh, if, if the cream rises to the top, then you know it's going to lead on to other things. If if the age is right, and if the um, you know where you are in your career is right. Yeah, we'll talk about that Marrakesh uh, test in a sec. But just before we do, Nick, of, of all those tracks in Japan, which is your favourite? Yeah, I think Sam hit it, hit the nail on the head. Uh, Sugo is, is something pretty crazy, pretty pretty cool. Really, really fast cars um, in Super Formula and Super GT, and the lap times about sixty three seconds. So, um, a small little track, but no room for error and uh, very high speed. Yeah, he won't um, he won't have anything like that in Formula E. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I tell you what, it makes uh, Sugo makes Alton Park look anemic. It's, it's, it's serious it's a serious place i'd love to go i've only been to fuji and suzuka unfortunately anyway um so tell us a little bit about the marrakesh test how did that come about and obviously you ended up fastest so it must have been a pretty good day's work as well yeah well it, it really come about um from the super formula championship i must say uh i think at at that stage um of the year it was a bit of a strange position for me because I was looking at um, extending my contract with with Toyota. We were talking about the future. At the same time, I had to kind of make a decision on on what I wanted to do with my career. And of course, uh, I've been very happy in Japan. It's um, been very successful. But at the same time, 
I want to keep challenging myself and I want to keep learning. Um, in 2018, I'd, I'd finished second in both championships in, in GT and Formula. And uh, Formula was so, so tight, uh, which was a real kick in the guts, to be honest. I was really proud of the year. Um, yeah, I felt like I did everything everything right that year, no mistakes. If anything, arguably, I'd say it was better than my, my championship winning year, but missed out on the title just. And that was the one championship that I, I hadn't ticked off here. So to get that done in 19, it, it kind of put me in a position where I was thinking, all right, well, what's next? What do I, what I want to do? Um, and Formula E was certainly very, very high on that list. Um, I think you know, the, the reasons for that are, are pretty obvious. Um, it was then a, a, a question of, of talking with Toyota. The, the target was to... To run again here um, in Super GT and in, in Super Formula, but I was interested in, in doing the test because if, um, if if anything, I was looking just to get experience of the cars because if a, if a opportunity was to come up down the road, I wanted to be prepared for it, and um, that was the kind of kind of mental state behind the the, the decision, I guess. Um, and and yeah, the opportunity presented itself with uh, Envision Version Racing, which was fantastic. Um, I was able to get over early in January for, for a couple of sim days and, and then go into to Marrakesh to, to do the rookie test, which, uh, you know, at, at that stage, um, they had two very accomplished drivers locked in and, and it meant I wasn't going to that test dreaming of a race seat. I was going there to, to focus on on the day, do the best job possible and, and try to learn as much as I could. Um, obviously, the, the result on, on paper was fantastic, but genuinely, the I felt the day went very well. I got on with the team very, very well. Um, obviously, there were certain parts of the test that, because I was, I was there for, say, three days, um, were a little bit hidden, but that's completely natural, and, and I was still able to, to drive the car to my potential and, and obviously that's led to, to something um, a bit bigger which I'm extremely proud of. Now obviously the demands of driving a Formula E car are very different to those in those super categories. Um, how did you find that? Yeah you're right uh, and it's funny you know you talk about Andre um, and I've, I've certainly I'd say look, look, looked up to him in the, in the last few years um, because of his success in, in Japan, but obviously uh, his relationship with, with Tom's and um, his career with Tom's was kind of uh, in a way similar to mine or it was a role that I was moving into. So I'd seen his transition into Formula E and, and that it hadn't been, been easy, but he had got on top of it. And uh, it kind of, in a way, it made me a little bit apprehensive for the day because uh, I was expecting a, a big challenge, which I think it, it was, and and believe me, I, I still think it's it's going to be. I've still got a huge amount to learn, but um, the the nature of the day and the fact that you get quite a few laps um, and can can build into it certainly uh, helped that process. Uh, Sam, you at that test, weren't you? I was indeed. Yeah, it was actually the last the last time I was at a racetrack. Can you believe that? I mean, it's what. So, I think it's the first time since 1983 I've gone more than six months without seeing a race car in anger. Wow. So, yeah. Not a good, not a good situation to be in. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he, Nick Nick stood out at the test um, as much as he could in the fact that it it was full of rookies. Obviously, some were more 
I guess, PR orientated than others were, but there was a good crop of, uh, of, of drivers there. You know, I spoke to Nick and, and Chris Gordon and Sylvain Filippi after the test and you, you could tell just instinctively that it had gone well. Um, I, I think the, the, the assurances and application were, were bang on from their point of view, as was the understanding and sort of adaption to the systems on the car that, that Nick uh, got used to pretty quickly. Um, and obviously the communication, as Nick, Nick alluded to, just embedding himself with the team prior to the test and then getting on with it. I, I didn't get a chance to go out, out on the track, but actually in Formula E, it's really hard to gauge anyway when you're out there and, and what runs they're on. So to, to make any sort of judgment on that. But the fact that Chris and Sylvain were were convinced so quickly was was quite telling. And, you know, I think there was little hesitation in in looking at Nick and probably Nick only when it came to replacing uh, Bird in the in the car for, for season seven. Yeah, Nick, the, I mean, the deal was done uh, in July. Uh, the season will hopefully start in January. But how much actual pre-season preparation are you likely to have? Um, very little. <laughs> yeah, obviously we're we're in a situation now um, because of coronavirus, the the travel restrictions. Uh, it's very difficult for me to to get to Europe right now um, and do any prep, which certainly isn't making things easy. But that's just the situation we've we've been given, so have to deal with it. Um, I've I've got a few more more commitments here still in Japan this year and, and once I'm, I'm completed with that um, I'll certainly be, be pushing on with preparation for the formerly season. Yeah it's a, it's a tricky one Sam you um, broke the news about the pre-season testing in Valencia uh, in November but obviously Envision is a customer team so they're, they're not as entitled to as many days. Um, how, how do you see it panning out? Yeah it's, it's a real difficult one you know for the customer teams they don't get uh, they don't get any powertrain customers don't get any private test day development test days, but some of them the manufacturers are allowed to kind of drip feed a couple if if it's if it's agreed between them. So there is that possibility, but as of course as Nick says, it's the, the present situation um, can't be accounted for, couldn't be accounted for. So getting over to to sim test and to you know to to do any of these possible test days is difficult. And then, you know, just to add a bit of insult to injury, the, the the test at Valencia was announced and the date which we um, which we broke last week, which is the end of November, you know, sod's law that it's on the same it's on the same weekend that Nick is scheduled to be at the finale of the Super GT at Fuji. So it's uh yeah, it's it's a really it's a real tricky one. But I mean what's the what's the latest on the Nick how are you gonna how are you gonna address that um is there a way around it or you know can could can you be at Valencia at this stage can you say uh the the honest answer to be honest with you is I can't say because I don't know myself <laughs> um there's there's not so much I can add uh yeah it was a, a little bit of a surprise but at the same time a little bit expected that there there would be some difficulties with with testing and finishing the championship just because of the nature that the season in Japan now runs longer than it was, was scheduled to. So um, that's the situation and yeah, trying to work a way around that, but um, obviously not, not everyone's going to be happy, which is the, the end in situation. And, and I can't do anything about that, unfortunately. Um, Nick, obviously 
Envision Virgin have been around as one of the uh, original teams on the grid and they've managed to win a race in uh, each of the six seasons so far. So you must go in thinking that, you know, there's a, a good chance of having a successful season here. Look, I'd like to hope so. But at the same time, I, I don't want to build expectations uh, too high for myself because I certainly realise the, the challenge that I'm up against. Um, I think Formula E from the outside and to be honest, from the very little I know about it, looks very difficult for a rookie um, in a regular season. And so added to the fact that there probably won't be much sim time or, or um, private testing before the season, uh, it's probably not going to make that any, any easier. So I'm aware that I've, I've got to put my head down, make the most of every opportunity that I do get to, to learn and, and get up to speed. And um, hopefully that process can, can happen quickly. And, and if it can, then uh, I'm sure results can start to come. But uh, yeah, like I say, I don't want to make too many predictions because I, I do realise the challenge that I'm up against. Yeah, and that situation is going to be imperative that you have a, a good relationship with your teammate. And um, I'm assuming that you got to speak a bit to Robin Frines when uh, you were at, did the test at Marrakesh. I mean, from my experience, he's one of the more laid back characters in the paddock. I mean, how, how are you getting on with him? Yeah, laid back. That's a, a nice way to put it. No, no. Uh, he's a. He seems like a great guy. Um, really, really funny. Yeah, certainly laid back, but at the same time, really, really successful and very quick. So. Um, certainly going to have a, a hard time there, but I think it's a great opportunity for me to, me to be able to learn off off Robin. Um, he he wasn't around for the the rookie test, but I could could speak to him a little bit on on race day and and follow what he was doing. And obviously, then I was following Berlin um, the six races there with a fair bit of interest. And uh, yeah, obviously, I don't really need to say too much about his speed of results, we, we know that, and it's just going to provide a great reference for me. I'll tell, I tell you what, Nick, you need to get hold of Robin's uh, sleep telemetry because <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's a legendary uh, sleeper. So if you get that, you'll have all the all the jet lag cracked immediately. You'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> Coffee. <laughs> um, um, we mentioned there that the Virgin have managed to win a race in every season, um, but they're an independent in a... In a, in a world full of manufacturers, where do you view the where they are in the, in the sort of competitive order after a bit of an up-and-down season last year? To answer that question, I think really being a, been a, been a customer in, in Formula E, if you, if you go by from Gen 2, um, the, the two customers have been, have been Envision Virgin and uh, Venturi. And if you look at the results, especially from Envision Virgin, actually their track record states that you know that they have had the better return from from their powertrain providers uh sam and robin have, have won four races since the start of gen 2 and uh, audi with the grassy of of one two i mean that only tells one part of the story i mean last season it, you know it's far from a total disaster but it was clear it from a few rounds in actually that in terms of outright pace and efficiency that it was only going to be fourth or fifth in terms of the powertrains in a, in a in a, an order of, uh, of of pace really. So I think it's going into this new season. Envision's partnership with Audi, which is which is strong. You know they work well together. Um, there is no subservience. It's Envision are a tight, efficient 
unit. And as I said, they've enjoyed some some great success. Um, in terms of how they're set up, I think it's almost an ideal customer uh, team, uh, an entity. I think they work really well. They've got some great experience in there. They've got a winning mentality uh, and they know how to get the results. But as you say, V2B, it's, you know, when you're up against manufacturers and there is stability or relative stability in a rule set, and, you know, this is going to be the third year of, of Gen 2, it's going to be interesting to see if that, you know, if that is stretched out anymore. But I'm pretty confident that Audi will be doing a new powertrain in the first slot of homologation. So they will start the year with their their Season 7 package. You know, we, we ran a story the other day that Nissan are going to go for slot 2, which means that they will bring in their new powertrain for the Romy Prix if that takes place in, in April. So I think from Envision Virgin's perspective and, and Nick as a, as a rookie in the championship, it's kind of almost the perfect team to come into because even though they're going to, you know, they forfeit the testing and that's going to be not great. They also learn so much from the manufacturer and there is that there are those open channels. So it does have a really a, a good working pattern to it and an envision a, a super focus with great experience. So in a way, an ideal team to be coming into the championship. Yeah, I think, um, Audi have taken quite a pragmatic uh, approach to that uh, customer thing and, and viewed it as an opportunity to actually increase the amount of data rather than just a way of maybe getting a little bit more uh, revenue in. So, um, yeah, it's, it's almost, it's not a, a B team, but it's not far off, is it? Yeah, well, I, I mean, you're, you're right. Of course, it's in an Audi's interest to have a, a team that can take points off of the for the manufacturers but you know it hasn't worked like that has it in the in the last couple of seasons and envision have finished um ahead in the in the last championship and they they've scored more victories and, and and often um in qualifying they've had the better the better pace as well with with sam and with robin but it, it it's not a reset but i see this season knowing audi knowing the way they operate uh that they were certainly hurting at the end of last season and when you've got people with so much experience so much respect like Alan McNish and, and Dieter Gass as part of your as part of your setup you can be sure that Audi are going to come back very strongly um, Nick if you look at what's going on in the in the automotive world this move towards uh, green energy or sustainability or whatever is is seemingly unstoppable it's one of the stated reasons behind Honda uh, leaving Formula One yeah, and so on so does this mean that you know it, the move to Formula E is sort of now the the apex of your career? Is is this the destination that you want to get to, or is there still something else on the, on the other side of this? I think that's um, yeah, that's a, a very good way to kind of put it. And and when I was speaking before about I got to the end of last year and took a step back and realised okay, I've got to make a decision on. on what I want to do in my, in my career. Um, like I said, Formula E uh, was, was basically at the top of that list. And that's taken into account on, on what's happening in the world at the moment. Um, sustainability is a huge thing. Green energy is a huge thing. And and so I don't want to be here for the, the short term. I'd like that to be the long term. And I, and I hope that um, this is uh, the first season of many in, in Formula E. Are you going to be solely focused on it or, or is there anything else uh, that you're able to do 
Will there be the occasional guest drive back in Japan or anything? Um, certainly from, from my point of view, uh, I would uh, be open to, to doing other things, whether that's one-off races or other programs, I I don't know. But um, I, I think that's to be kind of discussed with the team still. And um, in the end, I, I don't think really anyone's able to make plans on 2021 just now when we don't even really know what's happening in, in December. So um, that's certainly making things difficult. No, I think that's that's absolutely a, a fair point. And, of course, we can't leave without the uh, the obvious killer crunch question that's impossible to answer. But how, how do you calibrate a successful season next year? What what do you, what do you want to achieve? Uh, yeah, that is, that is a difficult question to answer. But the first thing that comes to mind is uh, constant development. I would like to... Um, keep progressing throughout the year uh that's that's really key for me and um yeah in terms of results i think uh of course i'd like something something decent it's hard for me to qualify by words what what that means but um yeah judging by by the weekend and the opportunities that are are given i think then it's more easy to to assess that are you could you mention in that um R factor early. Do you still do a lot of um, sim racing or sim work on your own? Not, not really. I must say, um, it was a big thing when I was, you know, twelve to, to fourteen years old in, in New Zealand before I went to Europe, um, and then probably the, the Formula Three days in, in Europe as well. Um, a lot of sim driving, R factor, but uh, the the um, I guess more recent times, last few years out here, I've I haven't had a simulator, and it, it's been uh yeah much less but um i i had the chance to to join a few esports races went obviously during um march april lockdowns and and that was a bit of fun but now uh with the amount of driving we get to do between super formula and and super gt it's uh i'm in a pretty fortunate position we we get to go real racing instead yeah, I was, I was more thinking back to that bit where sim racing took over the world for, for two months in lieu of everything yeah. going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so in that, in that period, yes, but uh, now now no. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to find some way of, uh, of getting your eye in with the, uh, with the Formula E car. We wish you all the very uh, best of luck for that. Thank you very much. And um, no, it's, been, it's been good chatting. I mean, I, I must say, between you guys, uh, I certainly learned more about Formula E than I do elsewhere. So um, great to be on here and, and hearing it from the horse's mouth. Oh, well, thank you very much. Cheers, cheers Nick. Sorry. Yeah, the, uh, the bank transfer numbers are on the way, so uh, make sure you <laughs> uh, Well, that's it for the show today. Thank you very much, for Nick, for joining us. And uh, we really look forward to seeing you in action next year. Uh, don't forget to check out all of Sam's work on the-race.com where everything you need to know about Formula E and the rest of the world of electric motorsport to be found. And don't forget to check out the rest of our podcasts, including uh, the Bring Back V10 series, where we look back at some of the classic uh, moments from that era of Formula One. <laughs>